What is up, everybody? Another edition of Crossing Broadcast. I am Adam Lefko, joined as always by Kyle Scott and Russell Joy. Uh, keep those five star reviews coming. We got a lot of reviews, people saying thank you for being the podcast I listen to when I cook. I'm addicted. You guys are awesome. It, it makes this a lot of fun. Uh, if you don't know, now you know. We post three times a week. Uh, usually comes out around 7 a.m. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So check us out. Tell your friends. iTunes share. We're trying to be that cool option when you get tired of local radio. Uh, for all of you that love to remind us about audio, I am recording this under a blanket. Um, we're going to see if it works. I don't know. Do we have faith? Are we, are we crossing fingers, Kyle Russ? You sound significantly better than you had sounded. You, you're popping a little bit, but you, you sound clear, and most of New York is back. So, I'm so uh, nervous. That's so nervous was the perfect level, but we're a net win right now. Adam, you could talk into a cup through a wall via a string, and I would still think you sound lovely. Oh, Russ, you can follow him at Joy on Broad. Kyle's at Crossing Broad, and I am at Adam Lefko, L-E-F-K-O-E. All right, so something happened. Was it Wednesday, Kyle, the the Sixers beat writer? Yeah, so this happened on Wednesday. I'll just sum it up real quick for people who aren't familiar. New Sixers Inquirer Sixers beat writer Sarah Todd. She's when going to be. When did they announce her? I think on Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. Okay. She actually had a tweet from Mark Spears and uh, I guess a few other folks. She had been a copy editor at the Inquirer. She had covered the Warriors for a small San Fran publication for a few years before that. She's going to be teamed up with Keith Pompey, who is not particularly good at covering the Sixers, uh, nor are most of their beat writers. She um, announced her hiring, announced her promotion, and as we've discussed before on here, Sixers Twitter quickly got to work and went through every tweet she's ever had in the history of Twitter. And they found a tweet from a couple of years ago where she criticized quite harshly the Kings Sixers trade, which every NBA observer has concluded was completely in the Sixers favor. And over the last couple of years, she has at times criticized the process and then doubled down on her critique of the Sixers Kings trade on Wednesday. And she was getting hammered by the uh, very loud minority portion of Sixers Twitter. And it wasn't that bad. She deserves to be called out for her god-awful take. One guy, one singular man, called her a cunt. And she fired out several tweets saying that she was being threatened and insulted and called a cunt 60 times. And I went through every single response she's had in the last six days. And the only uh, response that I could find that was threatening or um, getting at the fact that she was a woman was that one singular guy. So uh, Let me a lot of, the, uh, a lot the of original, crap to go around here. The original tweet uh, was July 2nd, 2015. Uh, Sarah wrote, Sixers get Stauskas, Kings free up space and get Matthews. Meanwhile, Philadelphia is still stuck with quote-unquote assets lopsided in Sacramento's favor. Someone said, you're kidding, right? And her response was, no, if you think it's the other way, you're deluded. Um, and then, yeah, as your post pointed out, just a lot of up and back. Mainly her point was lottery players are crapshoots and they're not guaranteed anything, which I do agree with her on that point. Uh, but uh, I think your more take on this is more where we are in terms of logging criticism at writers. 
Yeah, a little bit. Like, there's definite skips in logic in her thoughts about, well, you can't grade a lottery pick. The fact that the Sixers are in a position to get a better pick, it doesn't really matter what happens to the picks. They they very much did win the trade. So, I mean, I don't think there's even any debate there. But what I find interesting, uh, uh, like, female sports writers get get stuff that nobody else gets. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll be the first to say that. I see what people like Sarah Baker have gotten in the past or whatever. But... There's also a subset of them, because I spend all day on Twitter. My entire day exists in Twitter, uh, and I I don't miss much that goes on in the sports world, because as sad as an existence as that is. Um, And there are a lot of female sports writers who will uh, take the normal stuff that everyone involved in sports gets, and I'm not defending it. There are trolls and idiots and assholes out there, for sure, and spin it into an anti-woman or some sort of sexist thing, and... Uh, I think at times they go well above and beyond what is real. And in this case, Sarah Todd, you have someone who's her first day covering a team. She's already in a kerfuffle with her audience, which is fine. It's a spirited conversation. But to sit there and three times tweet that you're being insulted, insulted and threatened and you spent your morning getting threatened and someone called you a cunt 60 times, it's simply not true. And it was coming very close to already playing on the, well, I'm a, I'm a woman card and look at these assholes. And quite honestly, Sarah Baker did this sort of thing a lot. And there's always one or two in the crowd. But generally speaking, every single comment she received was nothing out of the ordinary. It was the same stuff that I get that, that you guys have started to get with the podcast that every other sports writer gets. Yeah, I just think it's an unfortunate kind of situation. Um the, the thing that I think I kind of took exception to is if you're wrong about a trade, then just own up to it. And and part of her point was she said that, you know, she would be willing to accept responsibility for being wrong, but she doesn't like to, you know, be made fun of or, or feel threatened, which to some extent is fair. But if, if any of us ever make a comment that we know that we're going to get ripped apart for, then, then we should know that... Like, anytime I say something, I know that I'm opening myself up to criticism. That's just part of the beast. And if you've been living in Philly, this is the initial part that I didn't know. If you've been living in Philly for the better part of two years, you should know what the climate is around here. You should know what the culture is like. You should know the way that people approach these beat writers. And you should know better. You can't come into this acting like you were going to be the one person that that Philly was going to lay off of. And if... If you make such an outrageous statement against the process, you know that you're going to have Sixers Twitter against you. I mean, this isn't shocking stuff. I think the thing that I I took the most exception to was her tweet about trusting the process in any realm, political, sports, or other is insane. Sometimes the process fails. Why trust if it's not working? It's like the idea that you just shouldn't try anything outside the box because conventional wisdom tells you otherwise. It's just stupid. I don't like it. Her takes are horrible. I mean, the takes are absolutely terrible, and she deserves to get I don't know, not ripped apart, not people calling her an asshole or whatever, because some people did that. But, like, she deserved to be critiqued for it. And I, I just, like, I agree that her take was awful, and we, can, we don't even have to sit here and debate the merits of that. I just hate when reporters do this. That's, that's, my, that's my biggest thing. And I'm going to – for me, it's so dangerous uh, because um, – 
Look, sexism, racism, it's it's typically topics that when I make, if, if someone in my position makes a comment, it's super dangerous. So I get really uncomfortable. I guess the only thing I was going to say was your comments about Keith Pompey are comments that I've heard a lot. And then the fact that the Philadelphia Inquirer, this is just me being brutally honest, is moving a copy editor to that position now instead of going out in the major media publication and getting another big time writer or it to me it's like yet i don't know is that is it helping because it to me the coverage itself is what we always talk about here I, look i hope her writing is amazing i hope keith Pompey's podcasts are great i just you know you get you get worried just about experience and all that stuff they don't even need to go out and get a big time writer there's a lot of Almost every single one of the independent new media guys in this city is better than what the mainstream has been offering up with regard to the Sixers, whether it's Derek Bodner, Jake Pavorsky, who is barely in college, can write better than just about any of them, any of the mainstream guys, what he's doing for Liberty Ballers and stuff. Like I once, I thought it was a year or two ago, and there was a game in Europe where he was recapping. I don't know if it was one of Sharch's games in Europe, and I think Keith Pompey was there. I'm sorry, no, it was the Sixers abroad game, one of their preseason abroad games. Keith Pompey, I believe, was there and managed like 400 one-sentence paragraph words, and Jake Pavorsky watched a shitty live stream of it and got like a 1,500-word dissertation analyzing the game. Now, you could say that was overkill, and that's the sort of thing a newspaper's never going to run, but as far as like a recap of the game, this high school kid watching from his laptop, probably literally in his parents' basement, was better than the guy who was there, and it wasn't even close, and that's, that's what's frustrating about the Sixers, guys. They are... Um, particularly bad and john mitchell before pompey was was awful and this is also part of why so many people have embraced Derek bodner and that patreon um initiative that he had going because it's just you you're willing to pay for content when you know what the inquirer and the daily news are going to roll out and and this kind of a hire from within is just further proof that it just seems like the 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 people running the inquirer just do not know what they're doing yeah, well, hold we'll see. I mean, she could come out there and she could write good articles. So I don't, you know what I mean? Like maybe she just had a really shit take and then got a little, like, you know, got a little all that stuff. But uh, let's see. I'll give her a chance. But if not, I agree with Kyle. It was a bad first day. Um, all right, we got a question. Uh, Dan, I tweeted this to you as well, but a buddy and I were discussing who would win in a seven-game series, the Warriors or the USA team that didn't have Warriors players. This seems to be the uh, topic du jour, which team is better than the Warriors. I think Team USA or an all-star team is the only team that even merits conversation or discussion here. Uh, If he's referring to the most recent Team USA, the answer is unequivocally the Warriors. Remove Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson from that team, and they have something that looks like a hodgepodge of the Cavs and uh raptors over you know right now like no one is beating durant curry green and thompson on a team is not getting beat by just about anything the nba can throw at them let alone if you remove uh, themselves from that equation but also russell westbrook or james harden who didn't play or lebron james who didn't play no one beats that warriors team if a team with lebron and kyrie on the court can't beat them team usa stands no chance I, yeah, I disagree. 
Uh, uh, well, I, Russ, let me read this just so we can say. Right, so the team without the Warriors would be Jimmy Butler, DeAndre Jordan, Kyle Lowry, Harrison Barnes, DeMar DeRozan, uh, Kyrie Irving, DeMarcus Cousins, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, they're getting their ass kicked. Yeah. I, I would look at this as, with that current setup, yeah, Team USA gets whooped. If we're if we're pulling players from all around the league, I think that All Star team will would beat the Warriors. But I guess the the other issue in the scenario is the chemistry that that Golden State has built. Like if we're talking Golden State at the beginning of this year, then yeah, I think I think another team could take them down. But the chemistry that they've built, the passing that they have, I they yeah, they we're, are, we're doing it. We're doing it based off of they're up three zero. They're likely gonna sweep tonight. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think. Yeah, no, nobody stands. Him. Yeah, nobody stands. Uh, Lord underscore Albert IV. What is your draft grade on Villanova legend Josh Hart? Heard a podcast yesterday that straight up trashed trashed him. Very upsetting. What do you got, Mister Villanova? I feel like this was for me, and I included it just for the sole reason. Uh, I, from what I'm reading, of course you know where I'm going here. But scouts like Josh Hart; they think he's going. He could be very versatile. Um, might be a better draft pick than some would imagine. The problem is he's kind of like a three and D guy, and he's really not. His strength in college wasn't being a three-point shooter, and he's a little undersized for his, uh, I guess, like shooting guard position in the NBA. So that his biggest problem is size more than anything because he, he's, he's too short uh, to be a scoring guard, but that those are his abilities. But people like him. He's a smart guy. He's a good system guy. I heard from last year that the Spurs had their eyes on him like before his senior season, and he seems exactly like the sort of guy who would go to the Spurs and get heavy rotational minutes and be successful on that team. That's just my just my gut. And he's a you guy guys who, don't have to answer this, but I, he, I just wanted to include him. He's a guy who should warrant a late-round pick, and and he, it's okay for him to be a jack-of-all-trades but a master of none. As long as nice. he as he turns into a solid NBA contributor as a role player or a deep bench guy, like I think that's, that's probably a realistic goal for him. All right, now let us get to uh, the section where Kyle looks to the future. By the way, quick blanket update. It is getting hot under here, and uh, this is going to be weird. Uh, just, just going to be. I'm going to be coming out of here sweating. It's going to be super creepy. I um, told you, man. I told you, man. When you get people don't realize when you sit here and talk, it gets like your. I don't know if it gets your blood flowing. It gets your heart pumping. But I find that I, my body temperature raises after a podcast. So the thought of doing it under a blanket. Um, well, it's that I'm old. Sw- it's that old reverse dick pic shot from Russ. That's really getting you excited. Uh, Washington Post put out um, an article called How the NBA's Embrace of Social Media Might Help It Someday Surpass the NFL. Uh, I think, Kyle, I know you're excited about this. I've heard this now for like two years. So, um, I mean, it, it makes sense. I don't even have to read the article, but I can tell you this. The NFL blocks social media. The NBA embraces it. It allows it to spread. They're already a global brand. The NFL can't. Mark Cuban said that they're pigs up for slaughter. They're putting themselves on too many days. Uh, what, did I miss anything? Well, what did this article say that's new? 
No, not really. And this kind of like our, our so our theme for this conversation is millennials, and I hate to even call it that because instantly I feel like people will tune out and be like, "Oh God, people trying to figure out millennials." That's not what we're doing here. Um, there's a series of articles over the last couple of days that have kind of touched on the topics, uh, and we'll talk about the other two in a minute. One is the NBA versus the NFL. The other is Netflix and sports, and the other is the WWE audience actually getting super old. And I think all of these things are related in a way, and we could. You know kind of put a bow on it at the end but the nfl nba thing is really interesting to me because one of the things i've tried to do over the years is is chronicle how the teams and leagues use social media or new media or um like how they you know how they market to fans really and what the nba has done like you go on youtube after any nba game any regular season game and just type in a player and you'll likely find three or four accounts that are dedicated like there are some guys with massive followings on youtube who strictly just put together highlight videos of certain players, certain games, and repost the video to YouTube. I can tell you with certainty that Major League Baseball would have that stuff taken down. In most cases, the NFL would have that stuff taken down because they view it as their proper copyright and don't want people using their video online. The NFL notoriously has been the worst with Twitter sending takedown notices over people posting GIFs on Twitter. Just like I'm sure you guys have dealt with this at Bleacher Report at some point, Adam. Um, you know, so the NFL has been really bad, really protective of their own video. And and I don't think this is like a surprise to anyone, but anyone who uses social media at all realizes that you a lot of times you get clips and highlights from these games solely by following certain accounts. And the NBA has embraced this. And I think they now have the youngest audience of the four sports leagues, and they seem to be the the case this article is making is that they're the best position for the future and perhaps oh, a thousand per- percent surpass the NFL because they're so um, you know they're so open to to this new world and they like Adam Silver said they have one billion touch points during an NBA Finals game whether that's people watching on TV people interacting with a video clip on social media or listening to the I don't know about listening to the game streaming the game somewhere online I think one billion might be a little bit high, but I get his sentiment there. Uh, and he cited the way the league uses social media, their international appeal. Um, and the other thing that was interesting to me is they interviewed Mark Cuban, who will talk to anybody about anything, and his opinion will be right 100% of the time, said that uh, we had talked about before how once these TV rights deals come up, that the leagues will probably lose some money because you have... Uh, the ABCs and ESPNs and CBSs of the world in this last round of rights bid, you know, because they, they needed live sports to exist and they overbid. And we've talked about how those bids will likely come down when you get the Netflixes and Amazons and YouTubes bidding on these rights because they don't need sports to exist. But Mark Cuban kind of argued the opposite. And let's face it, his opinion is more valuable than ours, even though he's quite opinionated. And he's claiming like, no, there's going to be more competition. You have richer, healthier companies like an Amazon, like a YouTube, like a Google that are going to be bidding on sports rights in the upcoming years. And that's going to actually drive up the bid. So he thinks in a league like the NBA that is so popular with a young audience, going to be so popular with that cord cutting crowd, will actually benefit even more from its TV rights deal. So overall, it's just an interesting article about the NBA versus the NFL. Hopefully I summarize that. Uh, somewhat succinctly. Yeah, well Rush, done. you got anything on this? Um, it's just it. I think this just kind of speaks to the NFL years ago when they decided to kind of go stodgy 
old and and traditional whatever that is supposed to mean um by reducing you know having fun where the players started calling it the no fun league you know the second you start taking away touchdown celebrations the the second that you start trying to get everybody to fit this mold instead of letting them express themselves create creatively you know now you're starting to see the uh the negative ramifications of that and yeah the the nba twitter accounts man they they are easily the best uh, accounts that that are going in pro sports they're hilarious and it is no no surprise that a league that that has so many highlight plays um, would be doing so well on social media and yeah there i mean it's the perfect league for the social media age because uh, anything crazy that happens can absolutely fit within a 24 second window because you're talking about the shot clock but in most cases it was like built for vine and it's a shame vine has kind of gone away but it's built for the gif and uh for vine so you know i think the other part of it is is that like you look at the nfl they're dialing back the touchdown celebration rules because i think they understand this like what younger people value is is authenticity and i think what the nfl did is they tried to suck all the fun and authentic authenticity let's let's summon this up in a in a person instead of an idea okay if odell beckham jr was in the nba He'd be the biggest star in the NBA. Yeah. Odell Beckham Jr. in the NFL is a problem. We got to figure out. Oh, he's too loud off the field. He's too crazy. He is doing. He dresses like NBA players. He parties like NBA players. He goes out, but it's too much of an issue. The other problem is you get an NBA player. You got a Markel Fultz. He's in the NBA for 12 to 15 years. You get an NFL player. His career might be four years long. Uh, by the way, when an NBA player retires, I mean, look at Charles Barkley and Shaq up there and Isaiah Thomas. They retire gracefully. Have you seen a retired NFL player in their 40s or 50s? It's scary. I've interviewed Ronnie Lott. He didn't have a light in his eyes. So the game itself is different. And also, um, when I look at NBA, you can, the NBA, it's okay to be a fan of one great player. To be, I'm a Russell Westbrook guy. I'm a LeBron guy. In the NFL, that's what's starting to happen. But that's not good for the sport because then all we care about is the red zone or we care about the statistics at the end. We don't care about the Giants. We care about Odell. There is, there is a litany of reasons why this is happening. Uh, you know, that's an interesting point. Uh, the NBA is obviously positioned to root for players. And I think what, what leagues and networks are finding with younger people, like when we grew up, and we're not that old, we're all late 20s, early 30s. When we grew up, generally speaking, you can only watch the home team and the occasional nationally televised game. Now, um, it is super easy to watch games anywhere, anywhere in the country at any time. And even if you don't have a package like NBA League Pass or something like that, you could almost instantly on social media get your Russell Westbrook highlights or your Kevin Durant highlights. The Warriors are playing late at night and that's okay. You could be sitting in bed and you're getting all the highlights in real time. It's so it becomes, I think sports become more of a player driven thing rather than this provincial local thing. And to your point, that works itself out well in the NBA because NBA teams are built around stars. So if you're a Russell Westbrook fan, 
you become a Thunder fan. If you're a James Harden fan, you're a Rockets fan, and you could do both because if those players succeed, their teams are going to win. It's that simple. The NFL is a lot different. The guys don't have the balls in their hand, with the exception of the quarterback. The guys don't have the balls in their hands or impact the game in quite that way. So if you're an Odell Beckham fan, it becomes really hard just to translate that to being a Giants fan. Uh, I agree with you that it, it makes the league more fantasy-focused. I think that's okay for the league. I think the league benefits by the red zones and, and fantasy, you know, craze that the whole country is in but um yeah i mean like the problems the nfl have though compel in comparison to what baseball has like baseball is is what we're talking about with the nfl to the nth degree they were even worse with video than the nfl they are way worse oh yeah i mean we don't need to everybody knows baseball's fucked like that's just a fact (laughs) i mean they they've come to companies like us and gone how do you make it cooler and we've been like well we need access to your stars like we need the Mike Trouts and we need the Bryce Harpers because you need to start building around them. Uh, d- two other things that you wanted to get on: Netflix doesn't want sports. Reed Hastings, uh, who pretty much calls the shots there, said it's hard to transform sports with the internet. I mean, you can carry it over the internet, but what does that do for you? So think of it as the internet doesn't yet add much value to the st- to the sports experience, and that wrestling viewers uh, in 2000 the average age was 28, and now it's 54 and UFC is more popular. So Kyle, of those two things, what did you gather? Like, what does that mean to you? So yeah, like, I think there's a thread here between what we just talked about in the NFL and the NBA and certainly to the Netflix thing. So Mark Cuban is arguing, hey, more competition bidding for rights, especially to leagues like the NBA, will lead to increased uh, quote-unquote TV broadcast rights revenue even more than the crazy sums they have now. And what we've talked about before is like, I think we kind of concluded, well, we're not so sure that's going to be the case because the current deals, the ESPNs of the world paid more than they had to because they needed sports to exist. And our thing was like, hey, Netflix is healthy. Google is healthy. Apple and Amazon are very healthy. They don't need sports rights to yeah, exist. My, o- Maybe t- my only thing for that, Kyle, though, is yeah. that was the Netflix guy. And that yeah, well, was the one company that I didn't think need. Like, I think Amazon and Google makes a lot more sense because they're totally. used to having people on their site. Um, that are like actively like looking for things. Um, like Amazon can link up a live game. We've talked about this live game with live shopping where mm-hmm. Netflix, they want to dump 12 episodes on you and capture you for like 12 hours at a time. Look, the other thing is too, Netflix is the one company out of all those that isn't making money right now. So them not wanting something, I mean, they are so in debt, it's crazy. Yeah, but I mean, Amazon also is not profitable and their stock continues to rise. And I think that's pretty much the case with Netflix, too. Like some of these companies aren't gearing for profit yet. Like Amazon sort of famously is just undercutting competitors and the stock market loves it. So they're like, oh, just, yeah. you know, keep, I just don't know buying. where the ads are going to fill. I mean, are, is Netflix just well, going to start putting up ads in their stuff? Uh, who knows? I mean, I mean, their model is like we're the we're HBO on steroids. But yeah, they better like, hope all that content stays relevant because they're only as relevant as their library. Yeah, but I mean, they keep dumping money in the con. I don't think they're pro- I don't think they're in any sort of trouble whatsoever. I mean, they they have destination content that I yeah. think all of us can name one show where it's like I need Netflix. And what they're doing with stand up, what they're doing with stand up comedy in the past year has been crazy. Absolutely, yeah, they're the, they are the new you know they are the new HBO Showtime and and much better at it. Um, but yeah, I agree Hi, with you as far Kyle, as the sports you, uh, things. Go ahead. Do you know anything about um, when Netflix became a, a feature in Xfinity? I assume that that was some kind of a uh, of a of a, like a revenue sharing deal. 
um, because you, you didn't have to sign up for Netflix, but you're able to access it through the X1 platform. I have to think that there was some sort of money that, that came out of a deal like that. And I wonder if they've been doing that nationwide with other cable providers. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure it had marginal benefits. I don't think it's impactful much at all. Maybe for maybe for like my parents. My parents use my Netflix login and they still will call me and ask for the password every time even though I've given it to them 15 times and they'll ask me how to navigate it and what is how do I watch a bloodline? I told them bloodline was good. And I feel like that is what that Xfinity partnership is for. People who really wouldn't understand how to get Netflix on their TV. Like every time I go to my parents, I have to remind them that they have an Apple TV box and they can watch this stuff. Uh, I think that's what it was for. I don't think that has much of an impact on them really at all. But to his point about sports, like I kind of agree with him here. He's, you know, he's saying two different things. He's saying we want to have content that people view on demand. And their argument is sports need to be watched live. And this is what, what has kept prop TV up because people need to watch sports live. And he's like, once a sports game ends, we want to have a catalog of content that people can watch whenever, wherever they want. If you want to watch Bloodline at 3 a.m. or 4 p.m., doesn't matter. Sports is pretty much only useful live. So after that game concludes, it's it's, it's not fully worthless to them, but there's not a whole lot of people going back 10 days later and watching a game from 10 days ago. So Netflix, out of all of them, is the company that doesn't need sports. But I think what he's also saying is, and what you're also seeing here is like, these companies are healthy and, and Amazon could decide for, for whatever their own reasons are. Like, hey, we don't need sports. We move a lot of products, our, our video catalog, we are the showtime to Netflix's HBO and that's fine. And overspending on sports when we're not exactly sure how to monetize it is not needed. So I think this just goes back to our point earlier about, like, will this money come into sports? Mark Cuban saying, well, there's going to be more competition for rights. And yet you have one of the biggest streaming providers being like, now nah, we're we're just fine over here without sports. Uh, and I think Hastings is saying, like, hey, the Internet, the part of the reason sports have stuck around on TV for so long and haven't fully made that transition to streaming like like scripted content has is because it doesn't add value. You still have to watch it live. So watching live through your cable box is no different than watching live through a stream, whereas streaming a show like Bloodline or House of Cards is different because you could sit there and watch the entire season the minute it comes out or or at your own leisure. TV is so crazy right now that you've mentioned the show Bloodline three or four times, and I have no idea what it is. I'm not looking for it because I don't need it. That, you know what I mean? Like, there used to be a time where, like, House of Cards, everyone watched it. Now it's like, hey, did you see that show on Showtime called Shark Fin? And you're like, what the fuck? You no, I haven't. Uh, can, we, can we move it to basketball really quick with uh, the Vince Piotti question? Uh, the uh, best draft yeah. results from best to worst. I think we all kind of had three. Um, and if we can get back to wrestling yeah, yeah, and yeah. Buffalo Wild Wings yeah, after yeah, that. Uh, so, Kyle, what is your, your best to worst um, draft results? Uh, or is so it just I, your best three? Uh, I, I think I think top three. One, okay, two, three. so what are your if, top three draft results? So for the Sixers, I wrote this a few weeks ago. One, I don't think it's possible, but if they could somehow trade up and get fault, whatever that would take. I think that's their ideal scenario, but unlikely. Um, I go back and forth between two and three, but I'll stick with two being draft Josh, 
Josh Jackson, if he's assuming he's the guy available at three, draft the best player available at three. And if it's Josh Jackson and not Lonzo Ball, then go out and sign Kyle Lowry and you instantly have a pretty good team. Uh, and my third option would be trading back for that five and 10 pick. Although, though that it's looking like that is, is becoming increasingly possible to do and the Kings might be a willing partner, uh, I'd be easily convinced that anything other than Fultz, their best option would be taking Monk at five and getting a second pick at 10. And I would love it, like your buddy uh, Wasserman said the other day, if that somehow wound up being Dennis Smith Jr. What do you got, Russ? Assuming that you can't make a trade for Fultz or some kind of boatload deal for like a Porzingis, I know that's totally unrealistic. Um, number one is if Lonzo falls, you draft Lonzo. That's best case scenario. Um, and then two and three are just trading back with Sacramento for five and ten. I think my preferred option is drafting Jonathan Isaac at five, Donovan Mitchell at ten. That gives you two elite wing defenders with a ton of upside and great measurables. Uh, the second set of that, I guess, would be trading back and getting a guy like Malik Monk um, and then probably just kind of seeing where the where the board takes you. I, I don't think at five, De'Aaron Fox will be available there. If he is, then maybe you have to think about it. Um, but I, I would I would try to match up whoever's best with Monk in a, in a five and 10 scenario. All right, I'm going to go uh, number one is uh, Ball Falls. Uh, number two for me, uh, De'Aaron Fox at three. Just going to be honest. I love the kid. Wow. wow. And uh, number three, uh, I'll make it the five and ten. And my five and ten is going to be Malik Monk. And I'm going to go Laurie Markkinen at ten. Oh, boy. I want that I want that shooter back there. But, yeah, Mr. that's Contrarian my... Mr. today. But he's... Man, where does he fit, though? I mean... Where do we fit? You know, is it's life just, is I life mean, a dream or, or is it all? Are we all connected? I don't know. Time is like a flat circle. No, like I I, I like Laurie Markkinen. I just don't know where his fit is on this team. He's another seven foot. I just plus don't even think that, we have a team yet. So that's why I'm like I think he's a good shooting big man that translates well to this league. He's an he's an excellent shooting big man. It's just let's talk uh, about your fox love for a second. You um, can't shoot. Yeah, I think, though, um, when I, I think about him next to Simmons, and I think about Simmons, like, almost being, like, releasing the hounds on defense and letting Fox defend people, and I find that he's, he's I love the way he distributes the ball, and I love his athleticism, um, and then we go to free agency and we get our shooters. Um, like, Josh Jackson, I don't think is a shooter, and I think what I'm realizing is I kind of like Darren Fox more than I like Josh Jackson, um, and that I mean the true thing is is if we want to take a shooter, then we take Malik Monk. I just um, you know I'm I'm not at the position yet to to get a guy that I think is a pretty good shooter for a, a guy like Darren Fox that I think could be a really really good NBA player. Yeah, I agree with you on Fox. I get all the positives you cite about him. That's how I feel about Josh Jackson and Jackson's. To, taller has a bigger body you know like Fo i agree that fox would be a superstar but i feel like if you're going to take the guy who can't shoot all the things you cited about fox is tenacious on defense super athletic can get you know can get to the rim but but 
Jackson's a guy who can play above the rim. I feel like him and Fox are sort of similar in that regard. Obviously, one's a guard, a ball-handling guard. The other is not. But to me, it's like, if you're going to take the guy who can't shoot, take the longer, bigger guy who is a little bit more of a yeah, I want the, the more. I want the more quicker, uh, faster guy. It's fair. Um, it's fair. All right, I, so why are you so... Because I know Russ and I have to go soon. Why are you so happy that Buffalo Wild Wings is dying, you masochist? All right, so let, let, me, let, me ask, let me ask Russ something different here. Russ, right. you're 26, right? Yep. Do you, do you watch the WWE? Um, no, but... Did you ever? Th- yes. I was a huge wrestling fan. I am too. I, I was Still. a huge wrestling fan. I was a, WCW, I was a WCW fan because I wasn't allowed to watch WWF. Um, and actually, the only time that I have watched professional wrestling and i think like the last five or six years is when sting came back because that was my wcw fanboy um and they just ran him into the ground and when goldberg came back i was so over the moon excited i had my two-year-old chanting goldberg my wife was not happy my son tries to spear me now um that was the only reason i watched it so I, I totally get, though, why the, the wrestling demographic age-wise has gone down. They When Linda McMahon was running for, I think, state senator Congress, they made this whole push to be PG and family-friendly. And the second they did that, they lost probably their biggest core base. Um, it, that, that, I think, was kind of the downfall of, of their company. And I think that's why you're seeing so many older people are watching it, because they're just used to watching it. Like, I always called it I always called it the Monday Night Soap Opera. Younger people don't want to watch it because it's it's this like family friendly. It's just over the top, you know, trying to appeal to everybody. Yeah, and I I think uh, I kind of I agree that the PG thing may have pushed some people away. That we're talking here about an article in Deadspin about how the median age of wrestling viewers has gone in 2000 was 28 years old and now it's 54. and I think what we're seeing, and to me, I feel like this ties into the NBA and Netflix and even the Buffalo Wild Wings thing, and we're probably not going to have enough time to flesh it out on this show, unfortunately. But I, I think part of the problem with the wrestling is you had an older, you had an older generation that, you know, the, say people who are 54 now, who grew up with just basic cable or and broadcast and broadcasting networks. Nothing was different. Nothing really pushed the envelopes. Anything like that. Um, so wrestling to them, especially during the Attitude Era in 2000, when these people were, you know, kind of like young to middle-aged adults, and I was in high school or whatever, and you know, older people were in their, you know, up to 40s or or whatever, they were couldn't believe what you were seeing on TV: chicks in bikinis, bikini matches, guys jumping off of cages, getting their tooth popped up through their nose. To an older generation, like that was cutting edge, and to a younger generation. They can get all that stuff online. Nothing the WWE can throw at them. It can top what they can easily go find online and see online. Plus this generation now goes online and you can't hide any of the smaller events in the storyline. So they're all out there and they know all the storylines. They're they're guessing, they're predicting, they're spoiling, they're leaking. Uh, Yeah, the whole like magic of it is gone. But a lot of people love the kayfabe. And well, but, well, but, and it's and also it's a personality. It's, it, it's it's a personality-driven business. Like in in the '90s, early 2000s, Stone Cold, The Rock, The Undertaker, Kane, like that was what drove that company. Even you know Triple H. Triple H is now still one of their biggest draws, and he's he's what I think he's close to 50 now. 
he's an executive for the company. He comes out of like quasi retirement, and that's a draw. I mean, that I think that is part of why they're they're kind of rattled at this point. And well, they and part be. part of it is that like the fact that it's fake. I don't think that is lost. Like for an older generation, it's like yeah, we know this is fake, but what these guys are doing is crazy. We can't see this stuff anywhere. Younger people today are like. Oh, fuck this this is fake yeah like these guys are jumping off things and there's a there's a potential danger we could go watch really actual real life crazy shit online and i feel like i just, just watched kind of, a rapper i just watched a rapper get knocked out in san diego on instagram on from eight thousand different accounts two nights ago and that was real as hell it was scary that's my point like it what you can find is you could find the authentic crazy stuff and you don't need someone to manufacture it for you. And I feel like this is where I felt like it tied into the NBA thing, certainly, and and even the Buffalo Wild Wings thing. And I don't think we have time to really flesh it out today because I know both you guys got to yeah, go. Yeah, you know what, like, Kyle, that's next, that's Kyle next will, you, will you take this home? I have to bounce. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it home if both, uh, both of you I guys can't, I'm the go. first. I'm Irish exiting. Guys, I love you very much. Just let your uh, much, audio finish much uploading. Love, much love, Adam. Off. I will. All right, all the fans out there, you guys are sick. Have a great weekend. See you guys. See ya. Uh, Kyle, let me uh, let me just do a real quick plug here, and then if you wanna if you wanna Buffalo Wild Wings this thing for the next fifteen minutes, I'll see if you I can, can do, do that. Go ahead. Um, so I know on on Twitter I've gotten a lot of questions about soccer, and last night the uh, U.S. Men's National Team, led by Hershey's own Christian Pulisic, he's now become the focal point of this team. And if you haven't ever had a reason to watch the the U.S. Men's National Team in World Cup qualifying matches. This kid is the real deal. He is probably the best talent of his generation. He had two goals last night. They defeated Trinidad and Tobago. And after the game, he guaranteed a win against Mexico at the Estadio Azteca, which is happening this Sunday at 8.30 p.m. on FS1. If you are looking for a, a true draw, especially considering how poor this NBA Finals has gone and how bad the Stanley Cup game last night was, was it 6 nothing? Um... This is this is something to watch, and it's cool because it has a, a pretty local kid, Christian Pulisic, this kid from Hershey. He is the real deal, and he's very much worth watching. Yeah, I, I'm actually I don't mind the the men's national games, even these like this is a World Cup qualifier, right? Yeah, and and the the crazy thing was they were in last place. They fired Jurgen Klinsmann, who was brought in to you know take over the whole program, revamp everything, and they went back to Bruce Arena. And since then, they're now in third place. And and really, Pulisic has almost single-handedly willed them to third place. If they're able to knock off uh, Mexico in this World Cup qualifier, I, if memory serves correct, they've beaten Mexico at the Estadio Azteca one time. I think it was a friendly. This would be, I think, the first time that they're looking for a legitimate win uh, in a World Cup qualifier against Mexico. If they're able to do it, they jump into second place. The top three teams in CONCACAF are the ones that qualify for the World Cup. They're halfway through. Um, this would be a, a monumental win if they're there's able to your, pull it off on Sunday. So There's your soccer moment with, with Russell Joy. Um, I think it's worth pointing out to people at this point. Um, Adam had to go because he, he has a wedding this weekend. He had to then catch a train or a, a flight somewhere. Russ, everyone always asks about why Russ leaves early. Russ is a teacher. Today is Friday, June 9th. Russ, today's your last day, correct? 
It is. So uh, starting on Monday, Russ will no longer be running out. We record the show at 6 a.m., and he usually needs to get going by right about now, which is 6.50. Uh, but starting on Monday, we'll we'll cease having the abrupt endings or Russ uh, cutting out, for those of you who are asking. I know a lot of people think oh. it's kind of a running shtick that Russ leaves early, but it's actually just because he has to get to, uh, get to work. And we're to the earliest we could possibly start recording this is 6 a.m. So anyway, have a good weekend. Uh, See you to everybody. And by the way, if you detest me, please at me next time at Joy on Broad. I get your hate. I get the Russell. No, and I know. Hate. And then and then I check your mentions and then I find these people. And then when I respond to them or I retweet them, and I don't mean to get into the Josh Innes kind of thing here, but like whenever I see it, I'm like, hey, yeah, he's terrible. Like somebody was like, why? Uh, question for the podcast was, why is Russ on the podcast? And I said, I know he's the worst. Well, Russ is, you know, Russ, you're the guy who's Twitter searching your, uh, your name. We've all been there. Um, oh yeah. All right. We'll see. You Google later. me. I'll try and, uh, I'll try and take this home solo. It's the first time I'm going to try and do this, but, uh, so Good I had a little time. bit of a, see you later. I had a little bit of a sermon planned here. Um, our topic for the day, if you didn't gather, it was millennials. It was the, and it was based on three articles, this NBA versus the NFL article where the NBA thinks it's better positioned to compete with the NFL and top the NFL because it appeals to a younger demographic. And they've used social media and authenticity, letting players have personalities do that, where the NFL has done the exact opposite in both of those regards. Um, Going forward for sports to continue to um, be the multi-gajillion dollar business that it is, they will need someone bidding on the rights to broadcast their games. Over the last few years, you've had... Um, ESPN and CBS's of the world pay billions of dollars for especially the NBA and NFL, partly this last go around of rights bidding. So because those networks needed sports to continue existing, live sports is the one thing still propping up the traditional cable package because it's very hard to cut the cord if you're a sports fan, as we've discussed a thousand times. Um, you have Mark Cuban arguing that there's going to be more competition when the streaming players like the Netflixes and Amazons bid on these rights. I We think differently. You already see Amazons or Netflix saying we don't want sports. I think sports are a great fit with Amazon and YouTube. So there will definitely be some bidding there. But those companies don't need sports to exist. Then you have something that's like fake sports in the WWE that I think most people, I'm 33 years old, I would say most people who are my age and older found to be cutting edge the the wwe the xfl like those things were the anti-establishment um you know gruff half naked chicks guys beating on each other stuff that you couldn't find through your traditional media programming whether it was tv movies books like this it was so outside the box that it was new think what you're seeing now the fact that the 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 age of the wrestling fan has doubled is that yeah, that stuff was cool back then, but you know these younger people now. You can, and I include anyone who uses the internet, can go find the authentic versions of that. And this is why UFC is popular. UFC is actual guys beating the shit out of each other. I will forever cease to be amazed that there is no outrage about UFC when if a guy gets one concussion in the NFL, like people want to rewrite the rules. Apparently it's okay if guys are bloody to a pulp lying in the ring in the UFC because they volunteered for it, but the same thing they volunteered for in the NFL or NHL is not acceptable. But I think there's a little bit of hypocrisy there. 
but I think you're missing the authenticity. And I think brands that lack authenticity, like the NFL, like Major League Baseball, like WWE, will really struggle going forward. And Adam had talked about this Buffalo Wild Wings topic. I it, Anyone who reads the site frequently knows that I hate Buffalo Wild Wings. I think they fucking suck. I think their wings are fake. If you've been there, you, the wings taste like they had been previously frozen and taste like someone squirted the sauce on them. And both of those things are true. It's, it's not good food. And that place exists because it was propped up by huge marketing dollars. And in Trump country in middle America, where you have a lot of quite frankly, like uneducated adults who think like, you know, the big flashy sign is somehow synonymous with quality. That's why companies like that had been successful. And you're seeing, there was an article in Business Insider last week, how Buffalo Wild Wings and the Applebee's of the world were struggling because these companies, even though they have these huge marketing budgets and can sponsor NCAA and can do things like the overtime button, they struggle because their food's not actually good. And what people value now, especially younger people, is authenticity. Most people listening to this podcast, I'm sure, if they really wanted a good hot wing, would go on Yelp and search hot wings and find a local place that maybe has never spent a dollar on advertising but has the best goddamn organic, hand-peppered chicken wings compared to the frozen shit you can get at Buffalo Wild Wings. Like The, the, the playing field has been leveled in everything, whether that's the internet, whether that's blogs versus newspapers, whether that's the Buffalo Wild Wings versus the local guy who uh, knows his chicken. And I think the way to kind of put a bow on on this theme of authenticity or whatever, and this is where I, I joke to those guys that I had a little bit of a sermon, go back to, bear with me here, go back to after World War II. There was this huge military industrial complex. I know it sounds like I'm getting crazy here by myself, but I have a point here. This huge military industrial complex. You had all this technology and manufacturing that was built to support the war, and now they needed to find uses for it. So things like the microwave oven popped up, um, the ability to mass produce food, frozen food that you can put in the microwave oven. The, the ability to mass produce many things. And out of that was born these kind of multinational conglomerates because there was all this capability and these huge companies and manufacturers had to find something to do with it. And everything from the 1950s on just became upscaled. And that's how you got these super evil mega corporations by the time the 80s and 90s rolled around because very few of these big players were able to control so many fields like a Procter and Gamble can own an entire aisle in the supermarket a Budweiser can essentially dominate the beer industry um, and then you have like like you know frozen TV dinner brands that can again like think back to when you were if you have kids I, I have a one and a half year old right now I don't I don't know if I've ever really entertained the idea of giving him like a Swanson's kitty meal because now we know how horrible that thing is for you. And maybe once in a while, it's fine. And my parents tried to feed me healthy food, but growing up, I probably had those once or twice a week, maybe more. And I don't just because they didn't know any better. It was like, hey, this is a popular brand of frozen shit, so this must be good. And I feel like by the time the 90s rolled around, all these massive mega manufacturers and conglomerates and media companies dominated the world. It was a small number of them. And that's how you get, I feel like all this kind of 
culminated in the 90s with just mass marketing industrial complex. And you had things like McDonald's and Nike and Disney. And certainly all those companies are still successful today. But everything in the 90s was like pumped up with steroids. It was just, you know, like, look, look at what happened to baseball, right? Like, that is sort of analogous to what happened to business and like the entire generation. Everything was fake. Everything was propped up by marketing dollars and big bright lights. And by the time the early 2000s came around, we started to peel back those layers as more people got access to the internet. And certainly once smartphones came around, we were able to see that like, oh, wow, a and McDonald's isn't, or not that people didn't maybe know this in the 90s, but hey, smoking is really bad for you. That's probably the best example out of any of these, these huge companies that just convinced people because they had billboards and fucking camels with cancer sticks that, you know, this is cool to smoke. But once people began to get educated, that quickly went away. Then people were like, hey, McDonald's doesn't offer, these aren't real hamburgers. These are like compressed cow patties that are they you know they just threw the whole cow into a fucking blender froze it and and stuck it on a burger like hey that's not a real hamburger hey budweiser isn't real beer hey buffalo wild wings isn't real wings i know they're kind of a newer company but it's point implies hey the wwe this is fake and not authentic and i could actually go find really real crazy drama and fights and naked chicks online and I, I know this is sort of like a rambly rant, but I think what happened, call it 2005 and forward, is that the population began to get a little bit more educated and we began to see what's real. I'm sure most people who have a Netflix account at some point watch that Food Inc. documentary. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other things like that where you can kind of peel back the layers on these massive corporations that had controlled everything for 20 or 30 years. And you're like, oh, wow, like they were serving us subpar products, whatever that product was. And now we can go out and get the real thing, whether that's chicken wings or real fights or actual porn online. Like all these things are related because you now have access to anything. You could go see what the best hot wing is. And and when you try and tie this back to sports, I think it comes back to that NBA, NFL, certainly Major League Baseball argument because NBA decided, no, we're going to embrace authenticity. We're going to let these guys have personalities. We're going to let them wear what they want to the games. We're going to let Russell Westbrook be a little bit crazy and everyone always keep everyone always wondering, is he going to punch Durant on the court? And the NFL has tried to strip that out of the league and be the protective super evil megacorp of their product. Major League Baseball has not only tried to do that, but they failed to they failed to market their stars and were left with a with a game that when they do things like a pitch clock and they like Adam said, will go to companies like Bleacher Report and like, hey, help make us cool again. That's not authentic and we don't value that. And I think the biggest thing right now in almost all businesses, and sports are absolutely included in this, it's like, how do we reach younger people? And you have these huge, massive brands, many of which have been around for half a century or more, that are used to being able to weigh, to spend their way to success, to be able to outspend the little guy, like a Budweiser, to be able to own the shelf in a supermarket, to be able to out-advertise. Um, if you want to relate that to podcast, CBS, W, which owns WIP, has tried to release a podcast network called Radio.com or Play.it. Well, the technology sucks. It's they're trying to take the radio model 
and put it into podcasting and it doesn't work. And therefore what, you know, the podcast themselves are inauthentic. The whole experience is inauthentic. You have to go to their landing page or download their app. And if you're listening to this, you're like, well, why would I do that? I could just, I'd rather just subscribe to a show like this. That doesn't make me jump through all these hoops, like a, you know, like a trained dolphin. And so you're seeing these big companies trying to figure out how can I be authentic? And the problem is you can't spend your way to authenticity and the NBA bringing this full fucking circle, has, I guess, enabled its players to be the brand ambassadors. The NFL, Roger Goodell, wants to be that brand ambassador. He knows he shouldn't be, but he subconsciously, in his fucked up head, feel like, feels like he needs to be. And the the NFL is bigger than any one player or team. In the NBA, it's the opposite. It's a star-driven league, and younger people like that. And oh, by the way, they allowed people to share stuff and didn't try and rip their, rip their videos down on YouTube and allowed people to watch highlights of Steph Curry going off or Le- basically LeBron's entire career. So um, I'm completely out of breath. I don't know how crazy that got, but um, I think it's an interesting topic because so much of what is going on in the world somehow ties back to sports, and there's a good analogy there. So um, anyway, I'd be interested to get Adam and Russ's thoughts on this on Monday. Both of those guys will be back. Russ is done teaching for the summer, so we will cease having to abruptly end shows while Russ leaves. Uh, anyway, if you made it this far into the show, thank you for listening. I'm Kyle Scott. For uh, Adam Lefko and Russell Joy, who will be back on Monday, we will see you on Monday. And a reminder, keep the five-stars review coming in iTunes, especially. Uh, we have continuously been in the top 200. We were as high as number nine, and we're pretty much holding steady around number 100, which is pretty good for a small podcast in Philly with nothing going on. Uh, tell a friend if you like the show, and uh, thanks for listening. We will see you on Monday.